What's happening in the canine industry? For all the latest news, views and expert opinions, stay right here for the canine paradigm. You'll hear from industry leaders, experts, doyens of the industry, learned colleagues, movers and shakers, and the odd Randy guest. Get the latest insights and expert advice from both here and abroad from the people in the know. Now, here are your hosts, Glenn Cook and Pat Stewart. And I'm Lofty Fulton, and I'm out of here. Today's episode of the show is brought to you by Ironswick Dog Quip, who's our good friend, Jason Furman. Good friend? Good friend. Yeah. I like him. (laughs) (laughs) So Jason, through Ironswick Dog Quip, is the importer and distributor of many products, including HF Mills, Herm Springer, and he has his own line of tugs and toys and sleeves and equipment called Dogpool. Yeah, he's got a lot of stuff. Yeah, pretty much anything. If you want any dog-related training gear, talk to Jason at Ironswick Dog Quip. The best way to do that is to look him up on Facebook. He can pretty much get you any dog gear you need at probably the best price that can be gotten. He's a grumpy old bastard, but he's a good bloke. Welcome back to the Canine Paradigm. I'm your host, Pat Stewart. I'm joined in studio today by my co-host, Glenn Cook. Hello. Hey, before we get going today, I just want to give a massive heartfelt thank you to the Working Canine Club, Inc., which is a dog sport club on the Central Coast in um, New South Wales, Australia. Karen Eaton and Brad Thurlow, right? Karen Eaton and Brad Thurlow. Yeah. Really amazing people. Mm. They are a club under the Working Malinois Association who held a trial on the weekend and very graciously allowed me to trial, conduct a BH with my dog, which we passed, which was- Congratulations, buddy. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Good that we passed that yeah. since we went to all this trouble. They allowed me to do that without being a member of any of those associations and allowed that BH to be scored in my PSA scorebook. For those guys to do that for me, I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. That's the type of thing we've been talking about, isn't it? Is that we're we're supposed to have this fellowship where as working dog enthusiasts, we're supposed to look after each other and have that kinship. Yeah. And it was very, very gracious of them to allow that to happen. Yeah. Considering these sort of things become political at times and we don't want them to be, we're actually trying to be one instead of many. And that's the thing that you and I have pushed for a long time, regardless of PSA, Mondio, IPO, any of them. Mm-hmm. We're trying to come together and formulate better relationships and protection for each other so we can enjoy dog sports long into the future. Yeah. So not only us, but the generations that come after us, we should all be able to stand together toe to toe because there'll be people outside the clubs that will keep pushing us not to be able to do these type of things because number one, they don't understand it. They have no right talking about it. But when you do have good people like Karen and Brad and Many of the other people who do get behind it and are welcoming and are supportive of those type of things, fantastic progress can be had and enjoyed by everybody. Yeah, that's right. Just once again, massive thank you to those guys. Indeed. Uh, I really appreciate it. And just two people who really understand, who, you know, I've known them uh, many years and they know I just want to play games with my dog. I'm not, there's no ulterior motive going on. I just want to compete in events with my dog. And thank you very, very much for allowing me the opportunity to do that. Plus, they're very good trainers themselves. Yeah, yeah, they totally. work on titling a lot of their own dogs. They yep. believe in it, both in ANKC. 
Karen's a judge, I believe, in tracking and many of their own dogs from Monsimbi. Well, are, uh, that's breeding. what I was about to say. So, you know, we always talk about like, I think that if you're going to get a dog for a purpose, mm. you need to go to a breeder who also breeds the dogs for that purpose because they're the only people that can give you an accurate account of what the dog is capable of. They don't, you know, people say, oh, the dog's, it's a working line shepherd. Well, what work has it done recently? Yeah, that's Those right. Those guys are exactly that. They're they've legit. Got a, they've got a working club. People in the club have their dogs and yeah. and others as well. So they really know what they're talking about. So that's Monsimbi German Shepherds, if I can give them a shout out. Um, yeah, they should have a plug there. We breed German Shepherds and Rottweilers. And I mean, I still send people to them if we don't have a suitable dog for them and they're looking for something in sport world or something like that, even mm-hmm. a pet. I've got a great working relationship with both of them. It's not a an envy thing or a competition thing between us. Yeah, we've used dogs of theirs before, and they've used dogs of ours. And we're um, and agencies as well. I think they got a lot of dogs in. They have, um, in yeah. They supply a lot of agencies around police and corrections, uh, around and stuff. Uh, corrections and um, police. And yeah, you're right. So uh, yeah, they are the goods. They're legit. Let's move on to our topic. Yeah. What are we talking about? All right. Well, we were supposed to have Michael Els. On the podcast today, Mm -hmm. however, he has some personal things that have popped up and he was kind enough to let us know and keep us in the loop of what's going on. Mm -hmm. It's not that it's not going to happen. We've just got a delay on that, which Mm -hmm. is great. So we're still going to have Michael Ellis on the show. Unfortunately, we just didn't have him today. So what we thought we'd talk about is a topic that we've juggled around with before. It was something that's come up through the conversations that we've had in earlier podcasts about how to deal with various different things. And it keeps coming up in some of the travels I've done, especially when I've been over in the United States and we've done the pet boarding daycare seminar and I've heard it mentioned in the IACP. I've heard colleagues mention it. I've heard people in just in bit in regular business talk about it as well. And that is how to deal with difficult people, especially clients. Mm-hmm. So we want to try and do this. And I've given my very clear answer to that. Yes. I Which just is? tell them to get fucked. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> So you're all gonna, the, every you're, every time? Not every time. No. Not every time. No, I don't think that's the go-to answer all the time. In fact, I think there is times where you can turn a difficult client into an ally. Mm-hmm. It's the same as what we were talking about before with our difficulties with dog sports. Mm-hmm. It's better to have these people as our friends and allies than yep. create that divide and that bitterness between us. If we can communicate well with each other. And I think a lot of the times it comes down to effective forms of communication. There was a very good ad and it was shown to me when I was actually over in the United States. There's a company over there called Chick-fil-A and it's primarily like our Red Rooster Mm -hmm. over here in Australia. The concept was, it was pretty much don't judge a book by its cover, you know, and what they did was they had people come into the store and they were ordering food and sitting down and every person had this little balloon that was following them around with who they were, their background, and what had recently happened to them. And some people were celebrating forms of elation where things had gone all right for them. And other people, like there was a woman sitting with her two children, her message was, this is such and such, she's mother of two children, just found out her husband's been cheating on her, doesn't know what to do, they've just moved out of home, et cetera, et cetera. And you could see the grief on her face. So you could see some people were happy, you could see some people were sad. And we've had this very situation before. In fact, I was talking to guys in NDTF about it the other day where we've had customers come in and you can see they're irate. And to borrow Chad and Jay's layered stress model, they're already at that point where they're ready for a fight. They're ready for conflict. This was some years ago. I had this lady come in and I happened to be in the office and she was going off her head. And it was 
something to do with a scratch on a dog's nose. And as the staff explained, you know, like we can't control everything about that type of thing. You can't stop a kid at school or daycare falling over and scuffing their knee. That's what happens. Mm-hmm. I mean, sure enough, you say, weren't you in charge? Weren't you in care? How can you absolutely see everything every time? Mm-hmm. So getting back to that, she came in, she saw the scratch on the dog's nose and I saw the scratch on the dog's nose. It was minor. It was a scratch, mm-hmm. nothing more. It didn't need attention. It didn't need medical supervision. I mean, in two weeks, this scratch wouldn't be a scratch. It would be a healed non-mark on the dog's nose. That's mm-hmm. how insignificant it was. But she was ready for a fight over it. And she let my staff have it. She was into them, thick and thin. They were just reeling from the actual turmoil of the conflict that was going on in the office at the time. And I walked over and I said, look, can I ask what's wrong? And she said, yeah, of course you can ask what's wrong. I've got a fucking scratch on my dog's nose. I said, I can see that, but it's a scratch. And I said, and I'm not trying to downplay it. I said, I I can see there is a scratch on your dog's nose, but it's a scratch, nothing more, nothing less. And I said, what else is wrong? There's something wrong. I can tell because when you came in, you were a very reasonable person to deal with. And I said, I was here when you came in, dropped the dog off. And I said, something else is going on. She burst into tears Mm -hmm. and she just, started to reel off a story about things that have been happening to her, how a holiday was a disaster. Her husband had a heart attack while they were on holidays and it was just a nightmare for them. Mm-hmm. And I said, yeah, yeah, look, I get that. And she said to me, look, I'm, I'm sorry for the way I've overreacted. And she said, it's just been a disaster. And she said, thanks for caring and thanks for asking. And I really appreciate that you made the effort to ask me how things were going. And she said, it's not your fault. And I see that now. And she said, you're right. It is just a scratch. And I've totally overreacted. Had I not asked and had I gone back at her, it would have been a shit fight. Mm. Or had my staff have been rude to her instead of supportive and nurturing towards her, it would have been a shit fight. Mm -hmm. She would have got the argument that she wanted. She needed someone to download on. And unfortunately, we were it. However, the good thing was I've had better training throughout my career to not do that to people. I've had some of these seminars and some of the things that I've attended and even the advice of important people around me have taught me how to speak to people a little bit better. Mm -hmm. Well, not a little bit better, actually a lot better and how to listen more and speak less. And in some of those cases, it's just asking the right question and being present at the time and showing a little respect and getting it back. So fortunately, that was one of the ones that worked out well for us at the time. I was quite happy with the outcome. We all walked away great friends from that. And she's booked her dog in several times ever since. So hopefully she's not listening to the show and thinks I've just outed her on the show for being some sort of psycho. Susan. Susan. (laughs) (laughs) No, it wasn't Susan. And the great thing about it was my staff learned from that as well. Mm -hmm. Like They got to see that being present at the time. And- In turn, they've done wonderful jobs where they've turned very difficult clients around and they've actually been able to win them over. People that have been hostile, people who have been incredibly rude in very similar situations. Funny enough, it's been through stress and anxiety and being on that top tier of being stressed already. And the straw that breaks the camel's back breaks its back. At that point in time, you're just feeling that any minor thing is just a trigger to go over the edge. And it does. It's a tipping point put you in a in a very, very unreasonable frame of mind. Yeah. It reminds me the whole time you're talking, I'm thinking about a meme I saw recently. It says, uh, everybody's fighting their own internal battle that you know nothing about. Yeah. Try not to be a <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> there you go. It's my turn. That's your turn. You've, <laughs> you've dropped your first C-bomb. <laughs> I'll post that meme or, or its equivalent, but it, it's a good one to think about. Yeah. I'm really into Alan Watts' quotes at the moment as well as a philosopher. And there's a lot of things along those lines that mm. just, you know, people have got their own stuff going on. Don't, of course. Don't get too bogged down in it and yeah. uh, try not to make other people's situation any worse. There was a time a while ago where I was actually doing a car deal for our company for Pet Resorts. Mm-hmm. And I went up to, um, I was on the Central Coast and I was the unreasonable person. Mm-hmm. I actually, the car salesman was he wasn't being difficult. He was actually right. We hadn't submitted the right type of paperwork. And on the phone, I was assured that we had. But when I arrived there, he brought it to my attention that we hadn't. So my I flipped out over it because I'd, I'd had a hard day at work and I drove an hour and a half up to be there to switch the vans out and take the new one home. And I totally flipped out on this dude. Like I just went up there and I said, mate, you have just fucking told me on the phone that everything's in order. So I've dropped what I'm doing to come up here to drop the van off. I said, I could have done this tomorrow and yet I've done it today on your advice. And he said, yeah, but you need to listen to me. He said, we've just found that there's an error in the paperwork, which he was totally right about. We were in the wrong, but I was in for a fight at that point in time. So I berated this poor guy (laughs) until I rang my accountant and he advised me that we were in the wrong. And the whole time I did this, this guy maintained his integrity while I was being a total fucking idiot. Yeah. The good thing about it was that once I did come back down to earth and realise the error in the ways that it was actually our fault, I gave him a heartfelt apology. And I walked over to him and I said, mate, i got to tell you, I'm sincerely sorry for the way I behaved. I think it was terrible. You don't deserve any of that. I said, "You, you showed professionalism and integrity the whole time. And I said, I'm actually embarrassed of my behaviour. And I shook his hand and he smiled and he goes, mate, we all have a hard day. (laughs) And he goes, I appreciate the apology. And he goes, that took a lot to man up and do that. In the long run, it ended well. Yeah. But I think the moral in the story is sometimes you've got to recognise when you are being a fucktard. Mm. At that point in time, I totally was. I'm not above it. And- Either are most people that I know. I do know some really good people that have a lot of self-control in those situations. They have a lot better learned behavior. Some people were just born with good parenting as well, where their parents taught them how to behave better in most situations and how to maintain a level of calm. But we still have our breaking points. Have you ever tried to be really, really mean to people uh, or to anyone without any provocation or, or need? Have you ever been in that situation? Only in a, like a, it was a, like an experiment. Right. Yeah. yeah it was like a, a, an experiment. It was kind of like, remember the show Fight Club mm-hmm. where you had to try and pick a fight with a total yeah, stranger and yeah. people were like hosing people down on the street yeah. and trying to get them to have a fight with them. Yeah. It was kind of like a situation like that. It was a bit of a psychological thing. We were trying mm-hmm. to pick an argument type of thing. Yeah, it was difficult to do because you're kind of thinking this feels contrived. Like yeah, it doesn't. Yeah. You, like you're not feeling the emotion. Yeah. But the interesting part is that's exactly what I was sort of trying to get to is that even though you're not feeling it, the other person certainly does. You know what I mean? Like mm. it's in your actions. I just was thinking about when you're talking then. So like, you know, I spent two years at the Special Forces Training Center and assisted on and was a big part of like selection courses for commandos. Yeah, pushing conflict on people. And- yeah, so the way it works is everyone would have seen a variant of this in a movie or something. 
but the staff don't wear any rank. So all the students don't know what rank anybody is unless you know them from wherever. And they have to call everyone sir. And you're just terribly mean to them because that's just how it is. And well, really, it's about that you don't ever want them to find any comfort in you. Yeah. You have to be very fair. It's a, it's a really hard line to walk because some of these guys are going to pass and then it's likely that they're going to be in your team, like especially that's sort of how it works. Like if you're instructing on these things, you're about to be a team commander or are a team commander and those guys are going to come into your team. Mm. So you walk this really bizarre line of being as mean as you can to a person but also being fair so that they will forgive you later when they when you get through all this and they can understand that there was nothing malicious or personal about it. I had this really uncomfortable – I used to I used to hate it. I, I really found it uncomfortable because I think most people that know me or even just listening to this, I'm a pretty casual sort of person. To fire me up takes a lot and that's a product of the, – that's the kind of person that we're trying to select for and that's why we do this thing to them. Mm. It takes a lot to get me rolled up. Yeah, it does. That's true. I've seen it a few times and I don't even think I've seen it. It was like Dale off um, Step Brothers. I, 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 I think I've seen you at, at like a four and not a 10. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. <laughs> anyway, this is so off topic, but it, it's, a, it's, 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 it's relevant. It, it's, it, we, we can segue it all in. So you do this thing on the installation course called a Navex where the guys, they just wander around for like four days, three nights, going to these different checkpoints and Every now and again, one of the checkpoints is manned and they get given a new set of coordinates. So this guy comes strolling into my checkpoint. I'm manning it and he's he's in he's in bad shape. He's limping. He looks terrible. And I'm like, you can't even walk, you piece of shit. Like, I'm trying to be mean to him. Like, look at you fucking bleeding out of your heels. Like, just trying to be mean to this guy. And they carry on them a withdraw it own request form. So they get issued that on the first day and they have to fill it all out. And then all they have to do to pull off the course is sign that and they're done. Hand, sign that, hand it over and it's over. And so I'm abusing this bloke as he walks into the, the my station and I'm thinking to myself, look at this poor fucking dude, like this is horrible. And as he gets in, he just pulls out his withdrawing and crestform, signs it and hands it over to me. And I immediately, now it's over, right? And this is the character I'm playing. I'm not that, I'm like, oh, oh, cool. Okay, man, like come over in here and I bring him into my little tent and I've got an esky and I've got food and stuff. I'm like, yeah, do you want a drink? Take those boots off your feet or fuck, man. I'll call a medic or get someone to come and fix you up. And the look on this guy's face was just shock. He's like, oh, fuck. And then he sat there for maybe 30 minutes and he goes, oh, I think I'd like to continue now. And I was like, oh. Sorry, dude. I was like, you can't because now you've seen behind the curtain. I was like, you know, it's just smoke and mirrors and- there's a car going to be here. No one's even going to get to see you because we can't have you go and tell everyone that this is what happened. <laughs> like you're just like, car's going to be here in a few minutes mm. and you're in it and you're going back to your unit and you can try again next year, but it's, you're done. You, you gave up. And it's interesting because all he needed was just a little bit of kindness. Like he just needed someone to just be like, Hey, it's okay. Just be nice to him for 20 minutes is all he needed. Yeah. But that he needed that meant he wasn't suitable. And I felt really bad. That was, you know, that was like in, that would have been in either 2009 or 10, nearly 10 years ago. And I still think about that poor fucking dude. I could describe him to you perfectly because yep. I never saw him again. And I just remember thinking that poor dude just needed someone to be nice to him that day. And he got it, but at the cost of everything. Yep. Poor fucker. Sorry, man, if you're listening. 
You fucking <laughs> you total bastard. <laughs> anyway. But it's it look, it's important because of the role they're gonna play. Yeah, yeah. yeah well that's it. Really it. Well, cause no, he's not gonna get that later. You're yeah. not gonna get that kindness later. You need to be able to the, the motivation has to come from Well, him. not when you're going to be in hostile territory yeah, and that's right. Yeah, the, that's but right. the motivation has to come from you. You can't have you can't need it coming from someone else. Yeah. Anyway, difficult customers. Mm. Your little story reminds me I haven't I haven't had to well, I, th- I suppose through martial arts training and so forth, there's times where you've got to give people tough love. And there's certainly times where I've been pushed in those situations. I've had to push back on other people. But yeah, there's been times where you know, I've been involved in, in sports training of that calibre. You know, I've had coaches that have pushed really hard on me before where I've gone back in the change room. And you've, you know, you'll throw your towel at the lockers and you say, fucking asshole doesn't care about me. But actually, it's total opposite. It's that they care very much. They care very much, and they're trying to mentally condition you to be able to deal with that type of stress. Because when you're in the ring and when you've got an opponent beating down on you, you know, like really, you think back and you go, "Geez, my coach is actually my best friend." You know, like he taught me how to deal with the lumps. He taught me how to be emotionally and physically strong to prepare me for this situation. Because it's not just about technique it's also about the psychological battle that goes on in your head as well because mm. most times people say you're not just fighting your opponent you're fighting yourself mm-hmm. so yeah it's very very important what's the most difficult customer you've ever had what's the worst situation person that was just hostile and why Ah, uh, yeah this goes back quite a few years ago after i first started my own dog training business in melbourne mm-hmm. and i was speaking to some people down there i had their golden retriever in for training and this dog was just just a total bullfed. Great mm-hmm. dog, just a lot of fun, and we were just doing some uh, general obedience work. So teaching the dog to loose leash walk, teaching the dog to do some he- minor healing. I didn't really focus a lot on healing for pet dog training, but I taught it to heal. It actually healed quite nicely. So by the wrap-up of it, the dog actually looked quite nice. Mm-hmm. Sitting well, doing drop stays. I used to be able to do a drop stay on a, on a long lead with all my dogs, and have someone come in and do skipping while I had the lead whirling around in the air and have someone skip the lead. Mm-hmm. So the dog would just sit there and anchor the lead down either in a sit or a drop for me. So I could show them that no matter what the stimuli was presented, I could have the dog on or off lead and the dog would still hold position. Good to practice for in case someone this, needs to skip. Or in case, say, I don't know, you're doing a BH and a fucking rabbit decides during your long down, seven minutes of downing, a rabbit decides it's going to harass and, your and dog. A horse. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what happened to me? And he held, which is absolutely yeah, prepare for anything. Yeah, we were actually doing quite well in the handover, and at one stage I did a Freudian slip. It's on me. I understood after it. The lady who owned the dog said to me, "So, how did you manage to do all that? Like they were wow, like they were just in awe. They came back and said, "I've never seen our dog behave so well." Mm-hmm. And she said how do you manage to do these type of things? So I went through obedience routine. She said, yeah, but he's, t- you know, like we've tried these types of things. I said, look, sometimes you just have to kick the dog's ass. And I meant that in a way like you've got to- Motivationally. Motivationally. And yeah. she said, I beg your pardon. I said, oh, sorry, I shouldn't say ass. Sometimes you've got to kick butt when you when train a dog. And she said, and her husband walked over to me and he goes, did you kick our dog? And I said, no, man, no, no. It's a wrong choice of words. And he goes, no, 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 you fucking just said you kicked our dog. And I said, no, no, it was a poor choice of words. And he goes, you can't take that back now. He goes, no wonder the dog behaved itself. You've been kicking our dog. And I said, dude, I haven't been kicking your dog. I'm telling you. And I said, it was a, it was a really poor choice of words. I said, I've never kicked this dog. 
And he goes, well, mate, that just explains everything. And he said, because we've been other trainers before and they haven't been able to train this dog. And suddenly you've been able to pull all this off. And he goes, it's because he's been, you've been kicking the shit out of him. <laughs> now we've caught you. And I said, you're, I said, mate, you're playing this totally out of context. And I said, I used a bad choice of words. I'm trying to explain to you. And I said, and you're fixating on, on a word that's never been done to your dog. And he said, mate, I'm going to get the fucking RSPCA and the police down here. And I said- <laughs> Well, for what? Yeah. And he said, because you kicked our dog. He said, you just said it in front of me and my wife. And he pushed me. Like oh, he, dear. He, yeah, he pushed me. And I said- Did the dog break the stay at this point? The dog was just running around the, in the field. We were in a closed field. So, he broke the stay. Well, uh, we'd released him. <laughs> the dog was released. So, the dog was running around having a great time. But I, yeah, he pushed me. Like he uh-huh. finger poked me and then he pushed me. And I said, under no circumstances- has this discussion led to a point where it's okay for you to push me? And I said, don't do it again. I don't accept that. And he said, well, mate, I I should knock your head off because you fucking kicked my dog and you've just admitted to it. And I said, listen, what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you to take your dog. I'm going to refund the whole cost of training, okay? And I said, because obviously we've come to a- We're at an impasse. We're at an impasse. We're at a crossroads. I said, we're just going to agree to disagree no matter what happens at this point in time. And I said, I can tell you in no uncertain terms that at no stage have I ever kicked your dog and nor would I kick a dog. There's no need to. It would be counterproductive to any form of training. And I said, yes, I, I meant I said it in a bad context. And I said, I admit that I said it in a bad context. I'm totally guilty of that. And I said, but as for physically kicking your dog, that is totally outrageous and I said and it's even more so outrageous that you and your wife believe that I would have done that and she she actually calmed down about it she said oh look now I think about it I don't think you do and he turned around and he goes are you fucking kidding me this fucking joke kicked our dog <laughs> and then him and her started arguing yeah and she goes well I don't think he would kick a dog because she said the dog actually loves him and comes back to him and is wagging its tail. She said, don't you think he wouldn't kick the dog? He said, I don't fucking accept this. He goes, now the two of you are ganging up on me. <laughs> so he stormed off to his car. Then he's come out and he's grabbed her by the arm and started dragging her and said, give me a fucking dog. And I, like, and this turned into like a fight on the field. So I've grabbed him and I said, mate, you're worried about me kicking the dog and you're trying to hustle your wife and grab her quite forcefully. I said, none of this is acceptable. You can't do this. Yeah. And he goes, don't tell me how to talk to my wife and- Don't tell me how to bash my wife. Yeah, don't tell me how to bash my wife. And it just became a joke. So fortunately, my staff around at this stage and they were, well, not my staff, the staff that were working there, and they were witness to all of this. And yeah, she just said, look, I'm sorry, you know, like this has become a bit of a farce and I, I don't know what to say. Um, and I said, I don't know what to say either. I said, look, I'm guilty of, of using very poor choice of words. To be honest- it taught me never to say that word ever again when yeah. I was talking about training dogs because I had said it in the past and people took it in context. They knew what I was saying about mm-hmm. it because it's a bit of an Aussie saying, you know, like sometimes you just need a kick in the ass yeah. to get going. That was said to me as an apprentice, you know, like sometimes you just need a kick in the ass to get going. Mm-hmm. I never thought about it because it was actually a bit of a conditioned phrase from my apprenticeship years. So I never said it again because of the fiasco it caused on the field that day. It never got physical to the point where, you know, like there was a bit of pushing and shoving between. Not for you, but when they got home. Well, yeah, look, I don't know what happened when they got home, but I mean, yeah, they were pretty much solidly arguing to the car. So I did. I stood by my words. I 
refunded their money. I just said, I think it's best we part company permanently from here. Mm-hmm. Which goes on to the point, which a lot of companies have told me when they've been doing seminars on how to talk to people in better phrases, that sometimes you have to get to a point where you know that you have to sack a customer. Mm. So you really have to basically say to them, that's it. How about you? Most difficult customer? Yeah. Goodness, I don't know. I certainly have never had to justify kicking a dog. (laughs) (laughs) No, I think uh, the most difficult customers I get are ones that don't turn out to be customers anyway, is I get phone calls. You know, this happens at probably once a month. I'll go through a long drawn out phone call of someone who wants to know exactly how I'm going to train their dog. And it's, it's usually always a recall and it's usually always an aggressive dog. And they want to know exactly how they're doing it because they have had another trainer who's then referred them to me or maybe their vet has uh, and they're interested in the method. And I, I'm certainly not cagey in how I respond to people like that, but I tell them, I don't know. I'm not looking at your dog. I don't know why your dog's motivated to do what it's doing. Mm. I don't know why it's not going to come back. And until I can see that, I, I, I really am not going to tell you the process I'm going to go through. But I can tell you we're going to put a lot of value into coming back. And if we have to, we may devalue. If, if there's too much value in something else uh, and that's why your dog won't recall, then we may have to devalue that in order to increase the value of coming back. I've had one guy go off at me over the phone about how I was just going to punish his dog. And I was like, mate, I don't know your dog. I don't know anything about your dog. Mm. And he was hell bent on making sure that he had 100% reliable uh, off-leash recall but basically it narrowed, boiled down to the idea that he was not prepared to do anything to get that. <laughs> Good luck, Fenton. Yeah. Mm. So that's what he wanted was 100% reliable recall. They had done a lot of, I think the trainer that they were with at the time was really a force-free type trainer and they had not succeeded and he'd been referred to me. And then I said, well, he wanted to know exactly what I was going to do to make sure his dog came back. And I said, I don't know. I, I don't know your dog. He hadn't even told me the breed of the dog. I was like, man, I, I can't answer that question. I, I don't know. It's like, what tools are you going to use? I said, I don't know, but I'm not going to limit any. I'm going to use whatever we need to do to make sure your dog can come back because that's a safety issue. Mm. Um, your dog's going to come back happily when he does. I can guarantee you that. And basically it went round and round and I was like, mate, I, I don't know how much further we can take this. Like I... I don't know where we're going with this. I don't know what answer you want me to give. Mm. And he, he said, I'm not prepared to use any form of, um, I can't remember the term he used, but it was like force or punishment or whatever on the dog. I'm totally unprepared to do that. And I was like, okay, well, I'm still, if you would like, we can go ahead with a consult because I have a huge gamut of skills that I can use up to that point, but I can't make any guarantees about anything. I Until I see your dog, I, I have no idea. Yep. Anyway. That was the end of the phone call. We never, I never heard from the guy. I never became a customer, but it was a long drawn out. I felt like sending him a fucking bill for the time that he took off me and explaining it. But I was like, I don't know until I see the dog. He was, he really wanted me to say, it was very clear that he didn't want the dog trained. It was mm. an obligatory phone call. Like someone had said, he's been in trouble for whatever his dog has been up to. And he can now tick the box of saying, I called the trainer you said to call and it didn't work out. You know what I mean? It was very clear that was going to happen. And that's what, this is where I'm, I'm, I'm blessed at the moment and I'm, I'm getting more and more clients. I think thanks, you know, to this show and to um, the evidence of what I can prove with my dog is I'm really trying hard not to take on too many obligatory clients, like yep. people who are like, oh, I have to train the dog because the dog's a pain in the ass. Most of my clients now are people who are like, hey, I want to do these cool things with my dog. 
Uh, and I'm, that's what I'm all about at the moment. I'm really about teaching dogs to do stuff and less yep. about stopping it. And of course, in teaching dogs to do things, we may have to teach them to stop doing other things. That, that's totally, I'm 100% cool with that. But what a, it's the attitude of the clients. And, and that wasn't that long ago. It was only a few months ago. That was probably one of the most uh, confirming for me that I was on the right track for what I want to do because it mm. was it was 100% obligatory. Like he was like, oh, I have to fix this problem with the dog, not I want to fix this problem with the dog. Or I, He wanted his dog not to go out and get in trouble rather than he wanted to teach a dog to come back. And the same problem, it's just a different process in his brain. And so it was just a really uncomfortable, unpleasant conversation. Mm. And he was trying to back me into a corner and paint me as something that I was, I, I didn't give him the opportunity to do that. Yeah. You know? All of that is a very good point. And I found in life, the older I've gotten, the more I'm at a point now with clients and friendships that when I start feeling that it's starting to become, it's starting to feel all wrong and I don't feel comfortable about it anymore, friendships, family, dogs, clients, whatever it is, then I agree to back out of that situation. I just have the conversation. And I have had this conversation with friends in the last couple of years or former friends where I've basically said, I just don't think this is, yeah, I don't think this is going down a good path that it needs to. And sometimes that might be my fault as well. Like sometimes I might be the catalyst, which is causing the conflict in the friendship. So sometimes it's better for me not to be in the picture. So I don't blame the other person for their part in that role. I just say to myself, well, I think something's gone wrong. The chemistry isn't there anymore, whether it be customer or friendship. And it's better that we agree to go down a different pathway altogether. Mm. So I found that the same sort of thing. I don't want to justify myself and I don't want to be in a situation where either one of us are feeling so uncomfortable with the situation that we feel like it's obligatory, as you said before. I can't stand that anymore. It's important that when you're in business, they say that every customer counts, but being in that situation where you're coming home totally stressed off your face and then you are in a layered stress model because you're, yeah. you've come home to your family and you're already irate, that can then um, have a spillover effect where you're in conflict with your partner yeah. or your children or your family or your friends and so forth. I've gone on rides before with the guys, with Dave and Scotty, and they can tell that I'm in a mood. Mm. The good thing about it is I quickly get out of the mood because the the writing helps me relieve the stress I'm in, but they can, Scott said to me before, you know, like, what's wrong, dude? And I said, oh, just, you know, shit I've had to deal with this morning already. And he says, yeah, well, don't worry about it now. We're out on the bikes, you know, like just chill. And I've had to think about that a few times. And I've thought, well, he's absolutely right. Why am I carrying this on? Yeah. This is one of the things as business owners or even people who are practitioners in a business is you've got to be careful and you've got to, you know, Bertie's talked about this before. You've got to take care of your, your mental health. It's got to be something that you need to be extremely conscious of. How do you feel? And again, you know, to explore Esther's point, it doesn't matter what you think and feel, but it does when it's you. It does when it's you because mm. you know how you think and feel. I don't know how you think and feel the whole times. I mean, I can, I've seen you in situations where you've become angry with people. We've had discussions where you and I have workshopped over a few things where people have wronged you or they've wronged me and vice mm -hmm. versa. So we've been in that situation where we've been able to console each other in situations or even talk through a through a problem. And that's what friends do, you know, like we we make time for each other to work through things and talk through things. And sometimes just having that ability to download is very important. So even for your staff, that's an extremely important thing as a business owner 
if you do have staff, I mean, some of us are sole traders, some of us are business owners, etc. Mm-hmm. But it's very important that you do have somebody that you can safely download to that isn't going to take it the wrong way. It's interesting to me how this relates to training because the pressure that someone else is putting on you. So pressure, stress is necessary. You it need is. stress all the time. Absolutely. For, for, it compels you to action. Mm. Um, but if you can't figure out or control how to turn off the pressure of the stress. Uh, it's a problem. Well, that that's what creates anxiety and that sort of thing. And yep. so this is where it totally 100% relates to training. It's, it's, it's behavior. It, it comes mm. across the same in that if you've got a client or a relationship in your business or training that is causing you stress and you don't see a way out of it, that is going to cause anxiety. And then if the only way to cut is just to cut that off and stop that relationship altogether, the yep. anxiety is released and you're rewarded, right? Correct. You're, the stress is relieved. Mm. And so it relates to training as well. And even to go back and relate it to my story, it's the same as like you you need levels of stress, you need an amount. And so long as you can control it, you'll be fine. And like, I feel like at the moment in my life, like I've probably never been happier to be honest because I've gotten quite good at you know we make the joke about I say I just tell people to get fucked but it gets actually you do it takes a long time to get to that point yeah. right I'm not doing that early but then I get to the point where I just go you know what no like you're causing an unnecessary amount of stress in my life or an amount of stress that I'm not willing that I'm going to carry that I can't diffuse before I get home or whatever my benchmark whatever I've got mm. and I just go hey we're done like yep. the, the relationship's over get fucked yeah because I'm not prepared to then go home and, and, and not be as good a father or husband or whatever because I'm worried about what's happening there. Now, I am happy to go home and be like, man, what's going on with that dog? Like, I'm happy to be like, why is that happening? And play that out in my head over a period of time. Yeah. But I'm not prepared to be like, why is that owner fucking pissing me off like this? And why are they doing that? Or why are they arguing with me on every point? Like, if it's constructive, like I, we were talking about earlier- I love to be asked questions and have my position challenged. I love that because the more I get to uh, uh, defend my position, the more reinforced I am in in my beliefs. And or if I turn at least out I'm you wrong, something. yeah. And if it turns out I'm wrong, then yeah. fantastic. I get yeah. to learn from that. that that's that's right. great. Mm. I'm, and that's that's the beauty of not being wed to any of your beliefs. If someone proves you wrong, it's liberating to be proved wrong because you get to go, oh, cool. Now I get to be better. Right? As long as I've you're in that good, step. as long as you're in that good state of mind, because there's plenty of people, and I, and I've been guilty of this plenty of times myself, mm-hmm. where I've had that cognitive dissonance, where somebody have said to me before, "This is the way it is. This is the way it plays out," and I've thought to myself, "Well, no, it's not," simply because I have been wed to that. Mm. Um, I, I've been protecting somebody's work or somebody's idea, and I've thought to myself after a period of time, "Well, actually, it is wrong." Mm. And the good thing about it is, is that uh, if you can get to the point in time where you can acknowledge that it is wrong and be able to move through it and be able to learn from it, I think that is entirely liberating itself. Yeah. I agree with you what you just said because I have found many times now that if somebody has got better advice, I have to be in a position to adopt it. Yeah, I have totally. to be in a position to accept it and say, well, this not only is this going to improve my ability, people look upon you as somebody who is receptive to change in ideas. Yeah. And you should be. Everybody and you should, should be. be. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, we, we are very guilty of bringing this up a, a lot of the time, but this is all that book, 12 Rules for Life. This is, all, this is and it's a as life I, changer. As it's I an I absolute say, life changer. I honestly feel like I've never been happier in yeah. my life. 
and it's not from what I'm, I mean, it is a lot of what I'm doing. I'm, I really enjoy what I'm doing at the moment, but it's more of what I've let go of. You yep. know what I mean? And I'm just yeah, it moves getting, some boulders, doesn't yeah. it? Mm. And I've got heaps of shit going on. It's not like I've just given up on everything, but the things that I can't control, I'm like, well, this is it. This is the, this is the facts and this is just how it goes. Stephen Covey talks about it in his book, The Seven Habits of Highly Successful People. Mm-hmm. And he talks about your circle of concern and your circle of influence. Mm-hmm. So there's certain things that you can, you might be concerned about, but you have no influence over them. Like you just don't have the ability to change it. So why should you be, why should you spend so much time agonizing over things that you cannot change? Mm. And I guess that's like the serenity prayer, um, which says, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. Mm. I guess that's one of those things that is um, relative to life. And yeah. that's things that I've learned from reading some of those good books is that I've been overly concerned by things that I can't influence. I can't have any effect on the change. Mm. and. Too much time has been spent on worrying about those things. Like when I was a kid, I used to worry about nuclear war all the time. Like I used to constantly be stressed that I think I saw Terminator and I saw Sarah Connor getting nuked on um, on a fence when she was watching one of her kids. And I kept obsessing about the fact that, you know, America and Russia and all these countries had these nuclear bombs. And I'm thinking to myself, fuck, you know, we're going to get blasted in nuclear bombs. If that happens, how can I? How can I? How can I stop it? <laughs> you won't even know. Won't even What's know. more worrying is those fuckers at Boston Dynamic that keep building oh, yeah. terminators. Would someone stop them for fuck's sake? Did you see that one where I think I've Bill seen them all. I'm terrified of it. Yeah. I've seen them all. I'm yeah, terrified. That, that I'm is- legit terrified of those robots. And and here's what I don't get. Bill like, Church put a robot up that's a stunt robot that yeah. can do somersaults in the air and land on this yeah. this tiny square on the ground. Yeah, that's full from Boston I said Dynamics. That, yeah, and that's what I said. Yeah, it is. And I said to Build, that's judgment day right there. Yeah, and they've got those dog ones and there's all those videos of them kicking the dog like and they're testing the stabilizers. Yeah, and they can run up hills. Like and those cha- dogs remember they're gonna like those yeah, robot they- dogs are gonna watch those videos one day and be like, Oh, I remember they that fucker kicked kicking me. me. Yeah. It'll be like that time you kicked that dog when you were training it and then accidentally <laughs> told the people. <laughs> Which I didn't do. I didn't kick that dog. Uh but yeah, no, I'm terrified of that. The machine uprising is coming. Mm. I'm fucking terrified of that. Mm. Hmm. I think the best advice I can give people, which has been given to me, is try. That's the first thing that I would suggest to anybody is try to try to reconcile and try to at least listen to their point of view without being judgmental. I think Ray Kroc was one of the people who started the McDonald's empire. Ray Kroc was one of these people who came up with the concept that the customer is always right. Well, I don't believe the customer is always right. I sometimes believe that some customers have taken that extreme and abused it quite heavily sometimes. I think some cu- customers can be toxic to your business, especially now that we find that people can review businesses based on the way that they feel at this point in time. So, I've, I mean, every country I've ever been to, one of the concerns is I've done everything right. I was ethical in my treatment the way I behaved was above board and and totally above expectation of anybody else. And yet somebody was totally toxic, rated me poorly on Yelp or Google or Facebook or something like that. And now I'm suffering because of the negative feedback. And then what they do is they, they get a, like a flash group together where they get mm. all their friends and family to start um, pouring in with all these bad reviews. People who've never used your service before 
the best thing to do in those sort of situations is get on and answer every single one of those people. Mm -hmm. Like just say, what is your relationship to our business? I don't have you on my books. Don't be toxic. Don't try and be defensive and rude or obnoxious to them. Just ask relative questions like, who are you? I've never heard of your name or could you provide me with some more details? Would you like to call for one of our staff or myself as the manager to talk to you? And that way we can try and come to some sort of reconciliation. Mm -hmm. The worst thing you can do is become combative and rude. I think with all these things uh, on the topic of uh, problematic customers, like if you've made a mistake, you just have to come clean. And transparency is the key to all of these things, especially with negative reviews online. Mm. First of all, I think you should decide whether you want to leave yourself open to having that. A lot of people turn it off because of how easy it is for people to give. You don't have to prove that you're a customer and that sort of thing to mm. give a, a Facebook review, that that kind of idea. Like someone could get onto our Facebook and leave a, negative feedback, never having listened to the show, right? Like mm. that totally can happen. But I think the and, and then we would have no way of, of knowing that or proving that or whatever. But I think that transparency is the key to all of these things. Uh, totally. I can't remember- I can't remember whether, like, if you if you don't tell any lies, you can't get caught in a lie. That's the beauty. That's the beauty of living that way. Um, Jordan Peterson, exactly. Mm. And so I can't remember we've spoken about it personally or whether we spoke about it on the show. Like we used to own the tattoo shop, and we had a guy give a one star review on Google. And yeah, then, you, uh, you have told it, but tell it again. Yeah. So we look into it, and he was a white supremacist. Who? So what had happened was he had sent a bunch of images in and wanted a tattoo designed from the images. And Alicia, who was working for us at the time, put it all together. And um, it was the eagles and stuff like that. And then she was combining these drawings and doing it. And someone, another customer was in the shop and was like, the fuck's the deal with that? And she says, oh, it's for a client. She's like, that's, they're Nazi symbols, right? And so we look it up and she didn't know. And they were like, it wasn't like they were swastikas, stickers, but they were, it was Nazi sim symbology. And so she had just about finished the drawing. So she emailed the guy back with the finished drawing and said, hey, look, I don't want to do the tattoo. Um, here it is done. Like it, I've done the drawing. You can have it. So like we've, because, you know, she's got a waiting list. There was a time period that the guy would have been cost. Yep. Here it is. It's ready to go, but I'm not going to do it. Anyway, so the guy gets on Google and leaves a one-star review on Google. But the options are you ignore it. Google won't take that away, right? So we published all the – just published it all. Mm. Published a photo of his one-star review and said that we wear that as a badge of honor. This is the deal. This is why you were not allowed to get the tattoo. Yep. You were never actually a customer. He didn't give any feedback. He just left a one-star review, which is a big dent. Yeah, you know? thanks, dude, for um, writing us up for not – but this is it. And, Picturing and, you with uh, hate and, images. Well, and you want to name us. You want to like, that's it, a public thing, right? Mm. And you, the good thing is he put his name, right? Yep. So we were like, cool. You want to use his name? Here's, all your, here's your email address because that's part of your Google thing. So we know that it's you and here's the image that you wanted and here's you getting angry about not being allowed to be tattooed with the image. Uh, and now it's all out there in the, in the open. And we yep. wear that one-star review as a fucking badge of honor. Yeah. Not... Uh, it's not a problem for us. So I think the same happens in dog training places. You see, you know, I think it was Panos that had some woman go crazy at him on yeah, the street was. and then had yep. a bunch of people get onto his. We spoke about that. And it's the same thing. You just go, hey, like, this is the situation. This mm. is the dog. This is what was going down on the day. Yep. And this is just the truth. And mm. people can make up a bunch of bullshit and put it over the top, but it, it comes out in the end. It, it always comes out in the end. So yeah. you just got to stick to your guns. And in that regard, when you have a, a problem, a person attacking your business, I feel like expose as much as you can 
like give as much evidence as you can to prove that you're in the right. And if you're in the wrong, then fucking take the kick in the ass, right? Because you shouldn't have done whatever you did that led to you getting into that position. Totally agree. Yeah. I think honesty is the key in those sort of situations that if you can improve the situation by being a little generous at times, I think those sort of situations really come back to reward you being a little benevolent where there's been cases where we've spoken about things before and we feel justified in in the fact that we could have said no. Mm. You know, like we could have said, no, you're not getting this or this is not going to happen. However, what does that cost you in the long run sometimes? What does it cost you? And it can cost you a lot. Mm. It can cost you in conflict. It can cost you in fighting it. It can cost you in wear and tear on your body and soul. Because, I mean, it creates a lot of anxiety and stress, not just for you, but there's conflict about the fact that it's never being resolved, that it's going to pop up again at some other stage. In the take-home of a lot of these things is why go, why be put into a case of conflict just to prove that you're right? Mm. Sometimes it's better just to have a bit of humble pie and say, all right, let's meet in the middle or let's talk about a refund or something like that. Let's just... Instead of making this into a $1,000 problem, let's limit this as a $100 problem. Mm. I'm happy to give you the $100 back and and just make it a life lesson and walk away from it. And some people struggle with that concept. They said, no, no, but I was right. I was right. And I've been one of those people before where I've thought I have to be vindicated in this situation. I have to feel that I've got solidarity in believing that I was right and that person was wrong. What's the point? Mm. Yeah, I agree with that, mm. 100%. I think I was just thinking as well, like I think if you're dealing with a difficult customer as well, you really need to identify like the difference between wants and needs and never insult anybody by going below their needs. So mm. if you're- Oh, that's deep. Yeah, well, it's that's negotiation 101. You, you really got to figure out what is the the thing that you will not give up on. Yeah. And then we work up from there. We don't work down as low as we can. We go like, okay, what is the absolute base? Yep. And then I don't uh, make the situation worse by trying to go below that base. And so that's the trick to negotiating in any problem situation. If you've got a customer that isn't happy for whatever reason, if you can ascertain it's their money that they want back or that they want free thing next time or, you know, mm. whatever it is, yep. it, the quicker you can get to the crutch of what it is that they they need versus what the, they want, a lot of the times that Ego is probably more important to a lot of people than physical money or assets or whatever. And so sometimes people just need to feel like they have had a win Mm. rather than get an actual thing. So the big apology can sometimes just get it out of the way and move on and have no impact is maybe that's what people need rather than what they, that you think they want. Yeah. I think sometimes in life is that when you've reached rock bottom, don't go and get a jackhammer. (laughs) <laughs> yeah yeah i think at that point in time you really need to start looking at how to either get out of your hole you know you should be working on either building a ladder or at least cutting steps in the hole to get out of it yeah because there's been plenty of times where I've, I've worked with people and i can just see them they actually have hit rock bottom and they've gone off to start smashing the rock because mm-hmm. they're just thinking well i can drive this down further but all you're doing is you've made a massive hole and you're stuck on the bottom of it and mm-hmm. uh, the deeper it gets, the the longer the climb out, if any. So, mm. you know, that's my take-home advice. One of the listeners on the show a while back when we were talking about the dog park thing said, how do you deal with these people when you're on walks with people and they're 
coming up to you and you're saying that you haven't had that problem with people in your dog parks before but we did get quite a bit of feedback over the the dog park discussion where i didn't say i didn't have it i just said it's not as common okay i'll retract that then <laughs> so how do you deal with them in what situation exactly? well you've got somebody that's just being a total dipshit with their dog and you need to have a conversation with them about their duty of care and the safety that they're implying on yourself and other people within the area. How do you talk to them? Well, that's an interesting one, the way you frame that, because I typically don't. I don't think it's my place to tell anybody else about their duty of care over their dog. If I'm not talking about what they're doing with their dog. I'm talking about the impact it has on other people, including yourself. Yeah. So, like, I'm not sure really the situation where that would happen. Like, I might tell someone, hey, I need you to control your dog Mm. or it's going to get hurt. Because like my dog will only endure so much of, of this. In the few cases where I have had a problematic dog, my dogs recall no matter what and I bring them in to between my legs and I can control them there. And from there, I feel like I'm justified in defending my dogs. Mm. Uh, and only a couple of times in my entire life have I ever done that. But I usually t- say to people, hey, you need to control your dog or else your dog's going to get hurt. Mm. And I had this one woman go, oh, by what are you going to do, hit my dog? And I was like, no, but I'm going to allow my dog to defend himself. I probably would have hit her dog before I let my dog defend itself. Oh, so you kick dogs. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I like, but people usually are, in my experience, people very apologetic. They come running over. They, they really don't have the control that they thought that they had. Like yeah. I've not really had the confrontations that I think people were referring to. I just mm. haven't experienced that really. People are usually very embarrassed and they're open to whatever you can tell them. Uh, but yeah, I, that's a reasonable person. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, that's the majority yeah, of the people good. I encounter. I really don't like it's, it's, I think one time in my whole life have I ever had uh, someone whose dog was causing a problem. I uh, think it was, think it was funny. Mm. Um, and he got a rude shock that day. How? What happened? <laughs> you want to hear the whole story? Yeah. Essentially, it was a dog that's, it was like a staffy kind of playful dog. I was walking, it was like four in the morning because I had to be somewhere. So I was walking my dog at that time Mm. and it wasn't in a park or anything. It was, uh, but it was like a, it is a park and it is a, it is actually an off-leash area. It is allowed, but it's not like a flowing sort of area. It's road. Anyway, I had somewhere to be, but I'm always, I don't like being out at that time because people who do have problematic dogs, that's when they will have them out. Anyway, this little staffy was playing with with Valerie and they were playing. It was fine. And me and the guy walked past each other in opposite directions and the dogs were playing, but it was getting too much. I was keeping an eye on it and the dogs were playing sort of migrating with me because Val was trying to stay with me and this dog had no interest in staying with the guy. Uh, and I could hear him calling the dog and he's calling and calling, but it's totally dark. Anyway, the play got too rough and Val came and put herself in between my legs. This is why I don't have aggressive dogs. I teach the dogs this, like, it's safe there. I will defend you. you. I will not allow another dog to get in there. So she's she doesn't have to fight for herself. She knows that. That sounds great, like having a dog fight between your groin. <laughs> no, but I can I can defend <laughs> yeah, okay. her and I can protect I her from another dog. Yep. So she understands that if you feel like you're in trouble, you don't have the right to fight another dog. That's yep. not something I'm ever going to allow you to do. Yep. But all you have to do is get back to me. 
uh, and I'll make sure that that dog never is, is able to hurt you. So she did. She came running in. She got in between my legs. I'm trying to push this staffy away and it's getting, it's get it's ramping up. Like the dog was just uncontrolled. It wasn't a bad dog. It just was typical of the type. And the more frustrated he was get with me pushing away, the more he was trying to get at her. And I realized that I was about to get bitten, not necessarily her because I was pushing this dog away and I'm like pushing him by the face basically. So I sort of cupped his muzzle as he came in. I grabbed him by the collar and I said to the guy, you got to come get your dog because he's still calling the dog maybe, I don't know how far away he got mm-hmm. and he's calling and I said, mate, he ain't coming and I didn't tell him because I'm holding him by the collar. This didn't happen at your illustrious dog park? No, it did didn't. It? No, okay. no. Okay. It was out of town. Okay. Uh, and so it happened at near the one where I said, oh, I would never go, but I right. was there because it was yep. four in the morning and gotcha. I was walking through the area. Anyway, so the guy ends up coming back and what he finds is uh, me essentially choking his dog because it's still trying to get to Val mm. and I'm holding it by the collar and and he's like, oh, what are you doing to my dog? I said, I'm fucking choking it. You better get over here and take it off of me. And he goes, how dare you choke my dog? I said, mate, it, she, he, and he says, oh, they were playing and whatever. I said, yeah, they were. Mm. They, they were playing, but it escalated to the point where now it became a fight. And he's like, how dare you touch my dog? And I said, bro- Come over and take your fucking dog. And he goes, let him go. I said, I'm not letting him go. And the guy gets all angry at me and comes shooting up. But what he didn't know was that I had my Malinois was also with me who then just going, oh, comfort. Like he could give a fuck about confrontation between dogs. He's off doing his own thing. It's like, oh, confrontation between people. That's rider. Yeah. Mm. He's like, that's something I'm definitely into and comes flying in. Now he probably wouldn't have engaged or whatever, but it was enough to, the guy got scared and was changed his mind. And I mm. said, dude, and he's like, put him down. I said, you have to fucking come over here and either take the collar from me or clip your lead to the collar. I'm not letting your dog go. And it was a tense moment, but that's as, as far as it's ever gone. Yep. And if it had have been an issue, like this is the thing for me as well as like, I'm not, I'm very comfortable in that situation. That's not an issue for me. I can see how like someone would be asking like, how do you deal in that situation? And that's the most extreme I've ever been into. That's mm. as close to real conflict as it's gotten. Yep. But like in order to protect my dog, I'm more than willing to restrain someone else's dog. That's no problem because I, I mean, this dog, it's not like I was hurting him and I wouldn't hurt the dog. I'm just restraining him. I'm just holding him by the collar so that he can't get to my dog. Mm. But to someone who doesn't know behavior, it looks like the dog's, you know, he's like doing the standard thing because he's leaning into his collar that hard. Yeah. But I'm very comfortable in going the knuckle with someone who wants to allow my dog to be hurt. Mm. Like I, I, and I never have. But I'm very comfortable allowing being in that position, and I understand how, I how other people are not. I totally get that, but for me, it's not an issue, and maybe it's because I'm so comfortable doing that. I also don't often put myself in a position where it could possibly happen, so I don't experience it. Mm. You know what I mean? That's a one in. I'm walking those dogs. One in a million. Yeah, I'm walking those dogs all the time, and so like I say, that's an outlier of an event. When we talked about it, that's such a uncharacteristic thing unlikely to happen but i'm prepared for that um, and willing to do it i don't need any special equipment i don't need anything Mm. but i'm aware also that's me i'm like if 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 the guy had decided he was going to fight me over me restraining his dog that would have also been a fun morning for me. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? The only thing you I would have had to give him a, like a right cross with his the, own dog. The, yeah. <laughs> the only thing that would have been annoying was that I had somewhere to be. That yeah. was it like that mm. for me. So 
you know, that's, that's my story. But mm. like I say, dealing with people is, I, I really, that's such an extreme case in, in, in the years that I've been out with dogs. It's the only time I've ever had real conflict or consultation. Most people are, and he would have hit, the guy was probably a good dude. He was probably just didn't like what I was doing to his dog. Mm. And as I say, he never saw what was going on. He just had no recall on his dog. Mm. Um, he just saw that our dogs were happily playing, and as the play got too rough, she wanted to escape. He didn't. He All he saw was a happily playing dog and then some random dickhead choking his dog. So he has the right to be angry. So, yeah, like I say, I, I don't really – I just don't have those – I just don't have experiences that I'm sure other people have of this conflict and, and problems because I – I go to great lengths to avoid them. And when I've found the only time I found myself in it, I'm like, oh, this is not that big a problem. Mm. I guess in some of my wrap up, I spent a lot of years in pubs and clubs in Melbourne working either as a bouncer inside or as a doorman. And you get to learn a lot about behavior in people in those sort of situations, especially when people are heavily intoxicated or they're just irrational in their behavior. And I found that, a majority of the time that I was working there, most of my conflict management was talking to people. And a lot of the time it was based on asking questions to them. So I was able to resolve a lot of situations. Now, these are situations where younger guys or even more hot-headed guys that were working for us or used to work for us, they would love to go into situations where they create a conflict yeah. simply by saying a trigger point, which would stir the fight on. They knew that they weren't allowed to throw the punch so they would trigger it by saying something to them, which would bring the conflict on. Where I was trained better than that, and I think it was good coaches I had in martial arts over the years and so forth, especially one of the, my old mentors, a guy that um, coached me. He was an ex-Vietnam veteran. And even though he was a real hard sort of guy, he was at peace with the world. And he was one of these people that he saw me as a bit of a troubled child when I was younger and told me that, Effectively, he said, you attract more flies with honey than you do with vinegar. Mm -hmm. And he said, you want, you pretty much want to get through your life enjoying life and spending it being productive rather than destructive. The questions that I've had with people when I have had issues with clients or I've had with people in dog parks and so forth is I ask them a lot of questions like, do you really want this to turn into a situation? Do you really want to have it turn into a vet bill? Guess I, I make people think about the situation rather than just respond to something. So ask them to consider all of the facts around what could happen, what the possibilities are for inaction in a situation that needs action. Mm. I found that that gets me out of a lot of situations yeah, yeah. Um, where I can, I can resolve it without being um, conflicted and without causing conflict. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, for sure. And that's the best way to do everything. That's why I say like it's it's such an extreme case. And even then, like really in that example I just said, really I was as much as fault. Probably I was agitated by having to constantly block this dog that I could have even spoken it's to the guy really, better. It's aggravating. It very yeah. much is. But I mean, and it like takes if, a lot of control to, to deal with a situation like but that. As I said, when I say, hey, come and get your fucking dog, if I had just said, hey, dude, the dogs are fighting, come and grab a hole of your one, that could have been better at diffusing the situation, which, like I say, in every in every circumstance, that's ex mostly what I experience. They're all learning moments. Yeah. And just because I know how to behave well today, it doesn't mean necessarily mean that I won't tomorrow. That's the thing about human nature and behavior is that we can have all the tools and training. And I mean, effectively, they, they give you a better platform to work off. So you have a bit of 
better condition response that when you're in a situation, you know how to respond better. However, that doesn't mean that you won't be facing your own layered stress model hmm. where one day you, you're, you know, that person is the catalyst for breaking your back and you just think, fuck it, I'm going the distance on this one. Hmm. So I guess the, the take-home point to this is try not to. Be in a better position where you can ask questions and you can look at resolving conflict management by not having to be right, by not think having to think I have to win the argument. Okay? Yeah, yeah. By not even creating the argument in the first place, by being more of, of a level-headed person that makes good judgment in bad situations. Mm. Um, because I've had to learn that through humility and good mentoring through life. I've had good people that have pointed out that being that type of person, you'll win friends and influence people basically in those mm. sort of situations that you won't be in a situation where people are constantly thinking this guy is in it for the argument. Mm. I agree. Mm. <laughs> I think that's probably a good place to leave it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, that'll do for an episode that we've had to just kind of fill in with Michael Ellis not being available to us today. It'll, It'll be, be in the, in the not too distant weeks. future. Yep. yep. All right. As always. We just want to thank our Patreon people once again yep. for your kindness and generosity and belief in our show. Because of what you're doing, Pat and I have got plans. We've got uh, improvements for the show, things that we're going to work on, and uh, hopefully that's going to roll out soon. We've got appointments with people. We're doing a whole bunch of things. We've been speaking to people externally about how to make this a better show and how to do alternate things as well. So all of that is going to have a positive effect on where we go in the future. That's right. Mm. And you can you can contribute to the Patreon by going to patreon.com and then type into the search bar there, the canine paradigm. If you like what you're hearing, please jump on to whatever subscription service you download us from, like, rate, share, subscribe. Doing that helps us get the word out to more people. And if you want to get in contact with us, you can do that via Facebook is the best way. Shoot us a message. We'll both see to the canine paradigm. That's it. Glenn, music. <laughs>